Tonight's reading is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Joe was 67 He was a retired teacher and since he had retired seven years ago he had devoted himself to his garden, to his wife, to his grandchildren and to walking the dog. And one day as he was out walking his dog in the local country park he uh, he started feeling really rather strange, in fact really very strange. Uh, He began to look really dreadful. Another dog walker asked him if he was okay and then he just slumped down to his knees and then keeled over and uh, this other dog walker had a uh, phone on them. They phoned up the paramedics, 909, and by the time they got there, Joe had died. Just 67. And uh, uh, and it turned out, and when they did the post-mortem, that he had had an aortic aneurysm. The aorta is the big blood vessel coming out of the heart that takes blood to the rest of the body. And, and, and uh, it had basically split... Uh, and so when, as the par- heart was pumping, it wasn't going around the body, it was, uh, as this happened, 
and as Joe collapsed and then died, the, uh, the blood was being spilt into his uh, chest cavity. And uh, it turned out that the doctors thought that he'd had this probably for years. And if they'd known, then they felt there was probably something that they could have done to help. So it was one of those tragic situations. So for Joe, it was an unknown need. And for him, it proved tragically fatal. Well, this evening, as we turn to Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 to 30, uh, I want to say for all of us here this evening, know your need. Now, it's obviously, it's not a, it's not a physical need, uh, as Joe had. It's a spiritual need, but it's still a need of our hearts, our hearts, our very centres of our being. And let's pray now and ask God to help us to understand this passage together. Father, please would you uh, open our minds and open our hearts to understand this, your word, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this isn't cardiology or anything medical, but it is know your heart. Human beings have a very great need, a very great need. Joe had a very great physical need. We have a very great spiritual need. And we need to know our need. And uh, it's, uh, as we look at, at um, Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 on to verse 30, we see that Jesus has been tempted in the first part of the chapter. He's now returned to Galilee and he's, all, he's been very, very well thought of. Everyone praised him, we read at the end of verse 15 there. And then he goes home to Nazareth where he's been brought up. And on the Sabbath, on the Saturday, he did what he'd probably done hundreds of times in his earlier years. He went to the synagogue. He would have known it well. They knew him really well. And I, I guess there was a real anticipation as Jesus was there and as he stood up for, to read what was probably the second reading. In those days, you'd stand up and in Jewish synagogues, you'd stand up to read and then you'd spit, sit to speak. And uh, there would have probably been a real anticipation, much as perhaps there would be as you were waiting for the bride to arrive at a wedding. And, uh, and then Jesus uh, sat down and he says, we look at verse 21 here, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, he's saying, this is about me. This prophecy of the Messiah is about me. And the people there in the synagogue, it says in verse 20, uh, 22 here, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph? They couldn't quite understand, but they were simply amazed. And it all began to go rather pear-shaped. Now, Nazareth, where Jesus was brought up, is built in a up, high upper mountain. And it's in a rather kind of armchair-shaped depression. But there are steep cliffs all around. And then they ended the synagogue service early. They, they, they grabbed Jesus. They took him outside. They were going to throw him off the edge to kill him. And this was probably his first recorded sermon we know of in, in Luke here. Uh, and yet they tried to kill him. And yet somehow miraculously at the end of our passage, verse 30, he walked right through the crowd <clears throat> and went on his way. But why the change? Why did they try to, to kill him? Why did they try to do away with him? They knew him really well. What was going on there? Well, um, the first thing I want to say, and for all of us, is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Understand your need. That's the first main point. Understand your need. And Jesus begins here to explain their need. <clears throat> Excuse me. He begins to explain our needs. And they just didn't get it. 
I've been praying actually for, for this sermon for tonight that we would begin to genuinely understand, to grasp our need. And Jesus reads there from Isaiah, there's a bit from Isaiah 50, uh, 61 and then from chapter 58 and verse 6 as he reads there. And we've got it there in verses 18 and 19. Some people have called this a manifesto as if it's some kind of uh, political announcement that Jesus is making. Uh, I don't think that's particularly helpful because this isn't political at all. This is primarily spiritual. It's really important to understand that. Although some people say that this is literal. And I've heard a number of people preaching sermons and saying that this Luke chapter 4, the Nazareth Manifesto, is uh, effectively something political. It's what Christians need to get involved in. It is literal. So when Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the poor, people say, therefore Christians have got to get involved with the poor. When Jesus said, um, he has sent me to proclaim uh, freedom for the prisoners in verse 18 there, then people, Christian people, have been saying and telling others that we need to get involved in prison ministry. Uh, And uh, similarly with recovery of sight for the blind and setting the oppressed free, that we need to be doing things to help the blind and the oppressed, perhaps starting up a new political party to serve the working class of this country. Well, this is not absolutely not primarily a political manifesto. It can't be primarily about people's physical needs. You look at the context here. Just in the first part of Luke chapter 4, there's a spiritual battle between Jesus and the devil. Just after this, in the next part of Luke 4, Jesus drives out an impure spirit. So the context is clearly spiritual clearly spiritual and if we take this uh, to be to be uh, a physical thing then um, then we might expect that prisons would empty eye hospitals would close that uh, uh, the Labour Party or the the equivalent uh, in countries around the world would have a huge upsurge as Christian people focused on that these would be the way forward in terms of what uh, this and every country in the world should be about Um, but it's not really This is about spiritual needs. It can only and make any sense if the primary intention of Jesus is to talk about spiritual needs. Yes, of course, Christians care for the poor. Yes, of course, we care for the prisoners. And uh, prison work is, is a great ministry. Yes, of course, we care for those who are blind. Yes, of course, we care for those who are spiritually, uh, who are physically oppressed because of our spiritual uh, uh, commitment to them. Yes, of course, we we care for people in those situations, but that can only happen when we understand and we admit our own spiritual needs. This is primarily spiritual. So we're talking about people who are poor spiritually, in prison spiritually, oppressed spiritually, blind spiritually. And Jesus, in verse 19, when he says, uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, he says, I've come to help. I've come to help. So, first thing, you've got to understand this. You've got to understand you're poor. He has anointed me to, to proclaim good news to the poor. It's the same word, actually, that we see in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the same word that's used here. And it's talking about needing to recognize, to see, to understand, to get our minds around the fact that we are poor, empty, We have a spiritual inability. 
we're miles away from God. He's saying we're poor spiritually. We have a great spiritual need. And without Jesus, we live in spiritual poverty. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what we need to get our minds around. That's what we need to understand. Anna and I once visited a pharmacy in a hospital in Uganda. And it was a reasonably big room, lots of shelves. And at the end of one of the shelves, there were just a handful of the drugs needed for the people in the entire hospital. And it really struck us because we had more drugs in our little cupboard in the kitchen than they did in their hospital pharmacy. And it seemed to me at the time that was just a, um, a real picture of, of poverty of that particular part of Uganda at the time then. But also it's a picture of our poverty, our real spiritual poverty. We're just like an empty shelf in a pharmacy. We're poor spiritually. Uh, the second thing here is you're a prisoner. And literally it means a prisoner of war. That's what the word means, a prisoner of war. It means that you and I were, effectively, it's like we've been, we've been born in a prisoner of war camp. When I was at school, um, uh, we had a teacher, and his initials were AJP. And the rumour going around the, uh, uh, the boys, it was an all-boys school, uh, the rumour going around the boys was that, uh, uh, that this guy had been in a Japanese prisoner of war camp, and his initials were JAP, but he turned them round because of the extraordinarily awful experience he had had in this prisoner of war camp and uh, he the rumor was also that he really was a shell of his former being because of what happened to him in that second world war japanese prisoner of war camp uh, a tragedy for him and uh, uh, the thing is you see we are in a prisoner of war camp a prisoner of the devil now there is a war on uh, the Lord has won the war, but there is still a war on at the moment. But the decisive battle has been won when Jesus died for us at, on, uh, on the cross of Calvary. Uh, but there is still a devil who means our harm and who keeps so many of us uh, captive. Um, we need to understand that. And we're blind. We're blind. This is the third thing. You are blind. In February 1982, in Los Angeles, there was uh, um, a, um, an operation carried out on someone called Anna May Penneker. And she was 62 and had been blind since birth. But then they discovered that she had a congenital cataract, which could be treated. And so age 62, as they operated on her left eye, they gave her her sight for the first time in her life. Can you imagine that? Uh, seeing your children for the first time, seeing your husband for the first time, seeing flowers or clouds for the first time. But that's, what it, that's how she experienced, that's what she experienced for the first time. Isn't that extraordinary? And actually that's what Jesus has come to do spiritually, because we need to understand that we're spiritually blind. And Jesus says, I've come to give sight, recovery of sight to the blind. Blind people don't get it. They don't understand where we stand spiritually. They don't see it, to use that, uh, that metaphor, that, uh, that picture of, of what it means. But we need to understand that we're born spiritually blind. And the fourth thing here is you are oppressed. Oppressed by the devil. Spiritual oppression. Um, we have an enemy. Now, a, a few weeks back, we had a, 
a bottle of white wine in the fridge, just chilling down before uh, before lunch or whatever it was. And then someone opened the fridge door. We got a bit of a strange fridge. You had to get a bit of a jerk to open the door. And uh, and the bottle of wine fell out, and it smashed and completely disintegrated all over the kitchen floor. Now, the word here for oppressed means disintegrated, like that bottle of wine all over our kitchen floor. Uh, it means broken in pieces. It means shattered. It means disintegrated. It means spiritually in pieces. And we need to understand that that's how we're born. That's As people without Jesus, that's what we're like. We're like that bottle of wine all over our kitchen floor, uh, shattered spiritually. And Jesus sets the oppressed free. That's what he came to do. Uh, look at the end of verse 18. To set the oppressed free. To reclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That's what Jesus came to do spiritually. It happens when we first put our trust in Jesus. When we become Christians. It happens when we understand, first of all, that we don't have to be oppressed anymore. We don't have to be blind. We don't have to be prisoners. We don't have to be poor. Spiritually. We can actually walk with Jesus and live a new life. But the first thing is to understand your need. Understand you're poor spiritually. You're a prisoner spiritually. You're oppressed spiritually. You're blind spiritually. And then the second big thing is, admit your need. So the first main point is that you've got to understand with your mind, your head. The second main point is you've got to get it into your heart. You've got to get this trickle down your neck and into the core of your being. Okay, so you've got to understand your need in your head, but you've also got to admit it in your heart. So it's not just, yeah, yeah, I'm in spiritual need, let's have a coffee, shall we? No, no, it's not that. It's saying, you, this has got to get to you. This has got to make a difference to your life. This has got to make, make a difference to the way you live your life, to the way you are. So change your thinking, understand it, but also get it into your heart. I know deep down in my heart I've got to do something about this. I've really got to do something about this. So we've addressed our minds and now we're addressing our hearts. Or if you like, your soul, the core of your being, the very centre of things. Now, as we go on in Luke chapter 4 here, uh, in this synagogue, it's a, it's a big picture here is this, that these are Jewish folks who have no idea about their need. They thought they were okay spiritually. We're the people of God, aren't we? We're the Jewish folks. So we are God's people. We don't need to be told we have a great need. And Jesus, please don't tell us we have spiritual needs because we're God's people. That extraordinary presumption, that extraordinary uh, uh, just assuming that they're okay. So Jesus, um, you did miracles in Capernaum. Perhaps you could do some here for us. It'd be nice to see. That'd be lovely. Thank you. But they just don't get it. They just don't see their need. And then when Jesus talks about Elijah going to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon, Sidon's outside of Israel. And Jesus is going to someone there who knew their need. And then he goes on and he talks about Elisha going to Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria. Syria is outside Israel. And he knew his need. So Jesus is talking to two people outside of Israel and they both knew that they had a big need. And he's saying to the Jewish folks he's talking to in the, in the synagogue, in his synagogue, in his hometown, he said, you don't know your needs. You just have no idea how needy you are. You haven't yet grasped it up here, and you certainly haven't grasped it in here, in your heart. You're assuming you're okay. And you're not. 
Your pride, your self-sufficiency, your presumption is keeping you from God. Admit your need. You're not going to be okay just because your wife goes to church. You're not going to be okay because you've just tuned into this evening service now. You're not going to be okay because you put something in uh, or you wrote out a check for a charity a couple of weeks back or whatever it is. No, you've got to admit your need before God. Understand it and get it into your heart as well. You're poor, you're a prisoner, you're blind, you're oppressed. It's got to make a difference to our lives. Please admit it. Admit it to yourself, admit it to God and admit it now. So understand your need, admit your need. And then the third thing is this, come to Jesus with your need. Uh, we talked about head, we talked about heart, and this is a practical thing, if you like, hands. Something to do, something to do. Come to Jesus with your need. Uh, Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, or if you like, the time of the Lord's favour. And he's saying, I've come to a set, the oppressed free. He says that at the end of verse 18 there. Uh, those who understand that they're oppressed, those who admit that they're oppressed, can be set free for all eternity. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus can be very challenging. He can be very uncomfortable. Yet he's also the most loving person who walked this planet. And he means good for us. So while he challenges us, know also that he loves you. And he means for your good. That's really, really significant. So understand your need, admit your need, and come to Jesus now. You can start a new life tonight. Right tonight. You can be getting right with God tonight. Um, Or maybe you've been a Christian for years and you just want to simply say to God, Thank you that I had a most extraordinary need and you have met it because you have set an oppressed one free. Thank you, Lord, that you've done that for me. I just want to tell you this story, true story apparently, uh, of a large British church which had three church plants. And every year, beginning of January, their first service, they would have a, a joint communion service of all the four churches together, the big one and the three plants met together. And on this particular year, there was uh, someone who had uh, been a criminal. He had been in prison for seven years for repeated burglary, became a Christian, one of the church plants. And he was uh, there taking communion and kneeling at the communion rail beside a Supreme Court judge who had become a Christian through the, the mother church, if you like, and uh, in his later life. And uh, they were kneeling there side by side at the communion rail to receive communion as they remembered Jesus' death for them. And then as the high court judge and the pastor of the church were uh, talking at the end of the service, uh, the, uh, the, the high court, the Supreme Court judge, uh, um, um, said this, did you notice who was kneeling beside me at the communion rail this morning? And the pastor said, yeah, yeah, I did. It was marvellous, wasn't it? And, uh, uh, and the judge said, yeah, what a miracle of grace. Uh, to which the, the pastor said, oh, yeah, a miracle of grace indeed. Just wonderful, wonderful. And the judge then said, uh, yeah, but, but who are you talking about? And, and the pastor, the, the minister said, well, well the, uh, the converted burglar who was just next door to you. And the judge said, no, I wasn't referring to him. I was thinking of myself. And then he said this. It's not surprising that the burglar received God's grace when he left jail. He had nothing but a history of crime behind him. And when he understood Jesus could be his saviour, he knew there was salvation and hope and joy for him. And he knew how much he needed that help. But look at me. I was taught from my earliest infancy to live as a gentleman. 
that my word was my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, take communion and so on. I went to Oxford, got my degrees, was called to the bar and eventually became a judge. And I was sure I was all I needed to be. Though in fact, I too was a sinner. I had huge needs. And it was God's grace that drew me. It was God's grace that opened my heart to receive Christ. I am the greater miracle. Well, whether you're a converted burglar or a Supreme Court judge, whether you're a Christian or whether you're someone who's just on the edge and you're seeing and thinking now, actually, I do understand my need and I admit my need and I want to come to Jesus now. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, whether we've been Christians for a very long time and we want to thank you for our need and the way that you have met that so profoundly at the cross, or whether we're just saying this for the first time, uh, we say to you together, Lord, we, we're beginning to understand our need more in our minds. Please help us to understand it more deeply, we pray. And we're beginning to, un- to admit it more, and please help us to admit it more deeply, we pray. And we come to you now, whether it's for the first time or whether it's for the umpteenth time. We come to you in grateful thanks and pray that you would be our Lord and our Saviour today, for Jesus' sake. Amen.